Welcome to Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. On this podcast, we journey through the devastating experience of the death of a child. Grief is seldom discussed openly in our culture, and the death of a child makes people feel even more uncomfortable. We approach the topic openly and honestly, speaking to people who have lost loved ones and experts who help care for them. Whether you are a parent experiencing loss or someone who wants to support another going through this tragedy, this podcast strives to offer hope and help. Welcome to episode 93 of Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. I'm Marcy Larson, Andy's Mom. Today I have the privilege to speak with Sean, Berkeley's dad. Sean is still very early in his grief journey. His daughter Berkeley died at 14 years of age less than a year ago now. So he is very raw and open with emotions, which I really admire. The biggest thing I admire about Sean really is his ability to accept help and ask for help from others, whether it be help from a professional, help from a personal friend or family member, whatever help that is, Sean really graciously accepts that help in ways that he never thought he would be able to before. It really is an excellent lesson to all of us to know that it's not a sign of weakness to accept help. It's just a sign that you can open up your heart to other people and allow them to come in and allow them to share a little bit of this experience with you. Just really allow others to bless you in this way, in the time that seems like there is no blessing in it. Before we get started on today's episode, I just want to mention one more time that I am wanting people to write in either on Facebook, Messenger, or Instagram, or through my email, marcy, M-A-R-C-Y, at andysmom.com, just to let me know those little stories of things that you were able to do that you never thought possible in your grief journey, ways that you were able to give a little bit of purpose or meaning in the grief and something that you were able to do. So far, I've had two different people write in and someone else say that they would like to be on a little Zoom call where we can do a mini interview with a recording. So let me know if you'd like to do that as well, because that works great. I plan on doing this interview with Gwen in a couple of weeks. So don't be shy. Just reach out and tell me your story. I'd love to hear them. So for now, I want you to enjoy Berkeley's dad on this, the end of Father's Day week. Thank you so much, Sean, for agreeing to come on the show today and talk about your amazing daughter, Berkeley. Thanks for having me. It's a privilege yeah. to be able to share about uh, the love of our life. Yeah. Please start and just tell us about Berkeley and who she was as a kid. Yeah. So she was our, she's our first child and we prayed about before she was ever born lord give us an identity of who she will become how we are to raise her like what what we need to wire in there's so many choices mm-hmm. you know and we want to love your child but the one that he gave us clearly was just in our spirits was reflection of god's personality mm-hmm. reflection of god's personality and and truly that's who she became from from really from birth i can say for myself and i think Panda would agree that she really showed us a love from God, a love that was superior to any dating, to even, even the kind of love in marriage. It was so, so different mm-hmm. and so, so pure, really, that it opened up a heart, um, both of our hearts in different ways than we've ever known before. And this was all before any of this happened. Right. And really, she brought joy to whatever room she was in. She had, you know, she was really young. She had this light blonde hair and you know, people would always try to say, can I have your hair? And she would giggle and smile. And, and she continued just to grow into a beautiful, beautiful person inside and out. Mm-hmm. And she loved to sing. And I remember she sang so much and talked a lot. And I kept thinking, you know, one day in my house will be silent. And I'll regret these days. 
if I don't enjoy and savor it. So mostly I did savor that. And, and our house was filled with melodies and talking and all this joy from her. Now we're a normal American family. So everybody's got issues Yeah, <laughs> as sure. a counselor. That's a fact. It's not, it's not a, a debate. It's that everybody has issues, but her persona and just who she is brought the love of God to our, our lives in a way that we'd never known. And so I remember even when she was young, I'd put her to bed and I'd come out crying. And Tanda's like, what's wrong? I was like, babe, the best part of my day just ended. <laughs> I was so terrified to have kids. If you ask my friends before we had their, before we had children, I'm like, I don't understand. Like until they get four or five and they can throw a ball and communicate effectively. <laughs> like what they're just, they're just consumers. <laughs> I don't get it. But then we have this. this you sound like my husband. My husband was like that. He was like, he would just, just say, you could just skip the first year. Then after a year. <laughs> yeah, they're consumers. And, and I, you know, I just had this opinion that women are experts. And so I seem to follow their lead, you know, on little kids. You guys carry them for nine months and you just have this native ability to do great things. It's a really different experience. Wow. There, there, there's more available in life than I'd ever imagined inside your home. It was just clearly different than the way I was raised. And it, it was just beautiful. And she continued to grow into that and develop friendships. After the accident explosion, people would come up to us and say, you know, I was her drama teacher. And in one of the plays that she was in, I was sitting alone and all the kids were over here and I was by myself. And she came and sat by me instead of her friends. Mm-hmm. People would continue to tell us stories about how she would reach out and connect with people and make them feel welcomed and make them feel valued. And she's, you know, even her piano teacher's like, I couldn't stay in a bad mood. I could be in a bad mood. Berkeley comes over and I just couldn't stay there. She was so kind hearted and loving her volleyball team. They, they, there's going to be a, a Berkeley Memorial tournament this year for her. And we've had other people reach out to start fundraisers, but we don't know, like I, we're still so raw and, and grieving. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm not in a position to be a part of that other yeah. than to tell people to go for it. <laughs> yeah. Right. She brought joy and she danced. We did karaoke. We on trips, we played taboo, you know, the, the Mad Lib games where you make things up and she's like, all right, dad, let's tell stories. And we tell stories and we, we were so much alike in so many ways, except mm-hmm. for, I feel like she was a better version than me and that she just had a different start and we were able to celebrate her personality and who she is. Even amidst both of our flaws, you know, my wife, Tanda and I, we were, we were able to see and just recognize the greatness in her personality and cherish her. Looking back, of course, I would want to do things way better. I'd sit more, listen more. In my ideal world, I would never make a mistake. I would never raise my voice. I'd be, I would just cherish those moments even more. You know, even at the first of the year, we would go and we'd get a new devotional and we would get a new journal and we would set goals for the year. Mm-hmm. And we would talk about our goals and we would do things like we did the whole 30. We did trips and we planned like she went on her big trip of a lifetime to New York when she was 13. I took mm-hmm. her and I, I, I did trips with the kids individually. Just, as, you know, they'll never, you know, I'm a counselor. So throughout the decades, the things that people have valued the most perennially with their parents has been the trips where they had them just by themselves typically. Mm-hmm. And they, they, whether it was fishing or whether they went to the donut shop or whether they went on a trip or whatever that was. And so I wanted to make sure to create those memories. And so I have these, these invaluable, priceless gems, the conversations we were able to enjoy, the depths that she was able to go to at such an early age. Like she had this innocence because we homeschool. She had this innocence of still being able to play. And, you know, even when we were in New York, she would hold my hand and not hold my hand because she's 13. Hold my hand, not hold my hand, hold my hand, not hold my hand. And it was just that relationship. She'd sit on my lap. We'd tickle, wrestle. I'd tuck her in every night and sing her song. Even at 14, you know, mm-hmm. the explosion happened five days after her 14th birthday. Mm-hmm. Even that point, we were still snuggling, still holding hands. But yet she's a boss on the stage, you know, and she would go do great and have fun playing volleyball and have these great friends that are. My Andy was 14 and he still wanted to cuddle. He still wanted to cuddle with his mama. Isn't that special? I know. I love that. And I was just like you and that I kept really cherishing it because I feel like one of these days this is going to end and he's not going to want to cuddle with his mom anymore. You know, he was my cuddler just of all of them. He (laughs) he just was. And yeah. And I just was sure it was going to stop, you know, when he just got too big and Amen. not because we lost him. Yeah. Yeah. I, I had the same thing. Like I lived in the awareness of this time is this small. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so much so that I, I have great friends and we we're very blessed to have a great community around us. But there's a lot of things I said no to with career, with even I have a counseling practice and we had two locations and through some transitions in COVID, I had a choice to work a lot harder and be gone more to Mm -hmm. really make this other location fly or to close it down. And I'm so glad that I just said, I just stepped back and said, let's just go to one location. That gave me that time during COVID to really be home. I counseled out of a tent (laughs) virtually, virtual counseling. I set a tent up, we lived on some property and I virtually saw people. So I was home all day. And that mm-hmm. gave me time to go in and, and eat lunch with them, just be there so much. And I am so grateful for that time and mm-hmm. for the decision to, and even though like with what I do, like I am super privileged to have seen thousands and thousands of people's lives, families, legacies transformed through the work that we do. But there's nothing like in, in my life, having a child and having kids and being able to raise them with your, your spouse and the investment, the purpose, the significance, the valuing, the it's just a surreal experience. I was raised by a single mom and I didn't get that. I guess it's different. Everybody has, you know, the, the Sunday morning stressed out trying to get to church on time or <laughs> the guy who wrote easy like Sunday morning. I don't think he ever went to church because <laughs> <laughs> it's the opposite. But the reality of, of how much we shared of love and life, I don't think words could truly express the joy that we shared. And and knowing that she's 14 and that that time was going to transition to something different, but it hadn't yet. Like she mm-hmm. wasn't with all of her friends. She just got an iPhone for her birthday five days before. And she had a Gab phone, which Gab phones are great because they don't have anything but calling and texting mm-hmm. and has all these limits. But she she was great with it. And she was still my little girl. And so my, you know, and it turns out my wife's like, I was like, she was my best friend. And, and my wife's like, she was my best friend. And the marriage counselor, me would say, well, you're supposed to have your spouse as your best friend and all these other uh, quasi-judgmental statements that people might say. Even when this loss happened, struggling through the process of losing her to heaven, my wife said, you think that the Lord allowed her to be taken home because we loved her more than God? I said, babe, that's a struggle of every good parent is to not put their child above God, above their spouse, above. And if that were the case, all of our friends that are, you know, the great parents, they'd all lose their kids. Right. Because it's it's this constantly balancing act. It's like the guy on the stage with the plates spinning all the plates. It's I, I don't know, but I know that I wasn't really looking forward to college. I wasn't looking forward to her first boyfriend. <laughs> I may have wired in. It's okay to stay home and go to college. And, you know, it's fine to date when you're 30. It's a perfect age to start dating. I may have said things like that to her. With her here, our home was filled. So much laughter. And so much joy with her not here. <laughs> Alexa's the only one that sings. She's the only one that sings now. And our, we just got back from this trip. It was, it was similar to the trip that we would have taken. We had a trip planned. Basically, we were going to have this big summer of a lifetime we had planned, right? And it started. Mm-hmm. We were going to leave that night. The explosion happened to go to the lake. And then we we're going to come back. I was going to work for two days. Then we're going to go on this road trip for two weeks to Florida. And we had it planned out and it was, it was our first big road trip like that. I mean, we went to Colorado once. This road trip that we had now was a lot of media and a lot of movies and podcasts and not as much of the interacting because we're still trying to navigate life without the reflection of God's personality in our home, you know, in the way that it was. My wife would have a whole different, different narrative of who Berkeley is. And can I read you something? It's It's... Yeah. Something that I, I make a lot of effort to heal. When I say effort and not accomplishment, because I feel like <laughs> I mostly am stuck and, and way further back than I need to be and thought I'd be further along in some areas and other areas. I'm still in shock that I'm even in this position. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that I did when this first happened was I said I was going to take a year off of work. I think I even said that in the ambulance. So I do marriage counseling and I've, I've counseled for a while. So a lot of people in our city and around know me. Mm-hmm. Or at least know my name. And even the ambulance person is like, Are you Sean McGuire? The Sean McGuire? I'm like, not a, I was supposed to see you for marriage counseling, but I couldn't get in. So there's a lot that I would counsel myself to do. Yeah. Before this, I'm compassionate before, but I think the depth of compassion is even greater. But but one of the things is I knew that if I did not deal with this, the loss of my precious Berkeley, I wouldn't come out of it. And I knew the devastation was so resolute that if I did survive, because it was 
they didn't know I was going to make it. My mom has my, she's like, say something to your family because she didn't know it was up in the air if I was going to survive or not. Mm-hmm. And uh, on the way there, I just remember thinking that I've got to get healthy enough to be there for my family. Right. And so these affirmations are, I've got a lot of them, but they're mostly in faith because I'm not living out of them. I'm, I'm making effort, but I'm not there. One of the things is I journal every day. And so I get up and it used to be spend time with God and it switched into really grieving and, and talking to Berkeley. Mm-hmm. And it's not like I look at her and see her and it's just didactic conversation. It's, it's, I have images and I, and I just, I'm just sharing with her. It's, it's mostly a monologue. And I asked God, my wife's had dreams about her. Like she would be in probably, which is a normal shock. And I know I'm jumping around. There's so many things, but she would go on about how she would hear Berkeley's voice, how she'd wake up and hear Berkeley sing. I didn't have that for whatever reason. We just, I, I didn't go through the typical denial shock that most people go through that the shock of her being gone is for sure. But I didn't go through the denial of she's here. She just was gone unless God brought her back from the dead, which as I prayed for it. I mean, I think as a parent, you'll do anything to bring life back into the, your beloved child. Let me read the affirmation. It's just, it's just one of, of, of a lot. This one's just a, I started out every day because I felt like I want Berkeley to know that she matters, even though cognitively she's in paradise with Jesus and you know, she's just doing amazing Mm-hmm. cerebrally, I know that, but I just need to feel like I'm valuing her still Yeah, that she's not forgotten. So I say, dear Berkeley, I'll always miss and cherish you with my whole heart. My sweet, precious BK, the love we share echoes in my heart every day. Your beautiful voice and godliness continue on in my daily life. Know my sweet BK that you still inspire me to do great and to be great. You are the best marriage counselor I know and the best daughter, friend, Christian, sister, Servant and pretty much amazing at everything but the highest level of math, <laughs> which is like me. My wife's calculus for a genius, and I'm good at normal people math. <laughs> I miss you so very much and wish we could tickle, wrestle, and laugh just one more time or once again. I stake my life on the reality that God is faithful and heaven is real, and that one day that we will be together again. I love you forever and always to infinity and beyond. Hallelujah. Amen. Love your daddy. Then I go into, I'm a tender warrior, valiant warrior on a battlefield with my God and my brothers. I don't complain that my wife and my son are not on the front lines with me. It is a privilege to lay down my life daily for my family and to make any sacrifice for them. God gave me the strength to fight for them. And that is what I'll do to my last breath. So I have all these things about who I want to be, how I want to live. That is different than how I feel and how Mm -hmm. I am thinking. Just the reality that's our current existence of life. So yeah. I could talk about Berkeley for the rest of my, I mean, I will talk about her, of but her friends, you will. Of course you will. her friends were out, they, they go to our home site, which is just now it looks like a bomb site. Why don't you talk we, a little bit about that explosion and what happened? So the audience can yeah. kind of understand a little. Sure. So it was just a normal, normal day. Uh, actually I slept in that day. I usually get up early, but I slept in and it was going to be an easy day. I had just maybe a light client load. And then we were going to go to the lake later that, that evening. Mm-hmm. So I just got up and it was light enough out. And I walked and I just pressed the button for my coffee. Uh, I don't know what happened in the moment. Looking back, the force of explosion just paralyzed me and threw me forward and up. Yeah. And I just heard, and I had these AirPods, the AirPod pros in. I just heard, and I saw like temporal distortion, things like the toaster moving in slow motion. Uh-huh. while my eyes are open and the whole thing was yellow. And later I learned the yellow was the insulation. Oh. And I felt like I was, I felt like I was just being thrust and I couldn't move. And then I felt like I was like falling into hell because things were just coming on top of me and everywhere. I remember looking up and I, and I really could not open my eyes. I could open them like for a split second and close. It felt like they were on fire and there was like splinters in my eyes. And I looked up and it was pretty high, felt like maybe eight feet above. And I just thought, this might be the it for Sean McGuire. This might be the end. Right. And then the next thought was, I was like, so I was like, God, get me out. I, I tried to move and I was in so much pain. I couldn't move. I was in so much pain. I literally could not move. And then I thought my family could be in danger. And I was like, God, you've got to get me out of here. I've got to get out. I've got to, I've got to find my family. Because they all I, had been sleeping. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, they were. I was yeah. the only one up, which is typical. And they were all in bed when this happened. And so then I was there somehow. I, I don't know. Got somehow I just was out. I, mean, I remember moving one board, but then I was out. And later, the people that did it, they said, "There's no way you could have got out of that. There's just there's no, number one. There's no way anybody survives this." Like everybody said that there's no way anybody survives what happened yeah. to you. No yeah. way. And not just me, but my family. Right. So then I, I, I'm up and I can barely move. Like I'm in so much pain. And when they found me, I was still smoking from where I've been on fire and bleeding. And I thought part of my foot blew off. My clothes were on fire. It was, it was crazy. And mm-hmm. I've been suffocating, right? I couldn't breathe. And I thought I was going to suffocate to death. But so I was able to breathe a little bit and I was just flashed to open my eyes. And I went to bed with walls in the house that we, you know, the, the family, and it was flat, flat, like a bomb site. Like there's no other way to describe it. And then immediately just in my spirit, Berkeley, I just started crying out, you know, I was crying out, help us. And my voice sounded like, it sounded like somebody else's voice from a movie, but I felt the pain and I felt the heartache and I felt everything, but I, but it just was like this weird space of, it sounds like a movie. It looks like a movie, but it's my life because I'm experiencing all the trauma of the situation. Mm-hmm. Cause I never blacked out. I never lost consciousness. And I was aware the entire time I just started crying for it. And I had a vision of myself on an Island, a beach. I love the beach with an umbrella drink, which I don't really drink umbrella drinks, but it's just the, yeah. the serene, but I was by myself. And I, and I thought I'm going to give my life right now for my family. I will die or I will find them because one of the two will be, I, I am not going to survive and not have my family. Yeah, And I just cried out for help in Berkeley, Berkeley, Berkeley. And I was looking for her, you know, but I couldn't see. So I was just with my eyes closed going through this rubble. I remember calling for Hayden and Tanda one time, because if I didn't make it, I didn't want them to remember to think that I love Berkeley more or, but, but just in my heart, it was all about Berkeley. And yeah. my neighbor came and grabbed me. She's like, Hey, you've got to go sit down. I was like, no, I've got to find Berkeley. She said, you've got to go sit down. You know, Hayden's at our house, you know, he's inside. I said, yeah. and they didn't know about Tanda yet. I, I just didn't know, but I just in my heart, it was Berkeley, Berkeley. And so I, I said, if I sit, I said, I may never get up because I really didn't know. Right. And so I, I, I go there and I sit. And then one of my neighbors comes up. He's like, Hey, Sean, it's Mike Ballard. And he's one of the guys I was calling. We have great neighbors. They, mm-hmm. they literally risk their lives going into everything to, to help us. Mm-hmm. One of my neighbors even said people, they said some people were really nervous about going in, but our, our good friends, like it's Sean McGuire, it's McGuire's. Like they would do it for us. They would lay down their life. And so they ran in to our best best friends. They, what, what do you need? What can I, I say? Find Berkeley. He said with him. He said when you did that, I felt the heart of Jesus just give me your father's heart. And I didn't care. I wasn't worried about electricity, the fire, things slicing through my legs. And I was just gonna find her. And I knew it. And he said about thirty seconds later, I found her, and there was the, the roof on top of her. Her legs were sticking out. When I heard somebody say we found Berkeley and it went quiet, I was already praying, but I prayed really loud. Yeah. And the people that were there said, you know, you, you beseech God to take you, to take you instead of her. Mm-hmm. You just prayed. And, you know, a lot of people had to go to counseling from firefighters to paramedics to yeah. our neighbors. I just remember that. I remember just thinking, I want to give my life. Like you never know what you're going to do. You hope you want to, you hope you would. But I really did. And I tried to get up. But like I said, I didn't want to sit down because I didn't know. By that time, my body was in shock and mm-hmm. I was just shaking. But my mind was still there and I was just so heartbroken. And on the ride of the ambulance, I just remember just praying and asking. And, and by that time, I knew that Tanda was alive and that Hayden was alive. And I did not want to know. I mean, I, I, I did, but I thought if I find out Berkeley didn't make it, I'm going to have a heart, something like I didn't know a human, like part of my stories, I have had a lot of injuries and things that were from, from youth to an adult that were just, I mean, almost died in a car wreck and drive. Like there's so many things that have been traumatic, but nothing compared to the level of pain emotionally and physically of my, I mean, I had things go through my body. They thought I couldn't see for three days because my eyes were so burned and so full of debris. Like I, I just had insulation, fiberglass, like everything was in my skin because of the explosion. And when I got to the hospital, I, I, I remember saying, I don't want to know. I need to get some pain meds before I can process anything. I need to, you need to get me under control. Cause I thought I need to be there for my family. I, I, I need to, I need to be there to help them through this. I can't die yet. 
And I remember we got to the hospital and one of my, my mom was there and, you know, COVID, they didn't let anybody in, but somehow these two people, by God's grace, were able to get in. One of my friends, he's a pastor. And he's like, you were praying and you were saying, thank you. And then you were screaming because you were in so much pain. He's like, I really thought you were going to die. He's like, I didn't think anybody can make you do that kind of what you went through. And they took me to this. Uh, they were stitching my head. They were, I mean, they were, I didn't think you could feel pain upon pain upon pain upon pain, but it turns out you can. It's a shock that I'm even alive because of the emotional and the physical pain. The only way is God just chose to keep me alive, which is part of our struggle is, you know, my wife will tell you, she, our daughter is better than both of us. We have an amazing son. His name means mighty warrior for God. If you don't mentor, love, disciple the warriors, they'll burn down the village. Mm -hmm. So he's a very strong kid with a great heart. But it just doesn't make sense of, of why he forcibly protected us from dying, even our dog and our cat. There's so many stories about the amazingness of our community of faith and community at large and then our friends loving us. But I just could not fathom that. And then I tested, I didn't know this till later, but I, they tested us off for COVID, of course. That's so important. And Tanda tested positive. And so she spent the first night alone by herself. <sighs> she said nonstop thinking about Berkeley and, and so much pain. Nobody was allowed to see her. Nobody's allowed. And one of the nurses said, I will go to the news media if you do not let this lady, this mom, see her son and give her his contact. She's like, I will go. To, I, will, I don't care if you fire me. So she put her job on the line to do that. And the situation was so bad because my son didn't even know. He said, Dad, I, I, this is later. He said, I heard you screaming. And I heard you crying out from Berkeley. And I heard you. And I thought you were going to die. And I didn't hear mom at all. And my buddy who's across the house, like we live in acres. And his, like the explosion was so bad. They found some of our photos thousands of yards away. And it rained insulation all day. And for the next week, it rained in the whole neighborhood, which is a pretty big. And his door an acre away blew in. My neighbor, they're, they're still not in their house. Um, he just moved in last week, this weekend. But my other neighbor's still out of his house because his part of his roof caved in an acres away. Like it was, you wouldn't believe, but he said he saw my son's face start to, in his arms and his body start to melt from the burns. It just started to melt. And he said, he said, I didn't know if Hayden was going to make it. I really didn't know. Yeah. The trauma of just going through all of that. My, my wife spending time by herself. You know, they said I'd be in the hospital three to six months. Mm -hmm. um, if I made it, I, you know, the minimum three to six months. I was so committed to getting out and praying for my daughter. I don't know that you're, you can start with the theology one way mm -hmm. of belief about God doing this, but if it's in the Bible, the Bible, he, Jesus raised people from the dead. I've never seen it personally. Sure. Mm -hmm. I sure believed. And I, and I, and I, and I had people, they brought us meals to the hospital because, you know, hospital food just makes you sick. Mm -hmm. And I pulled my own feeding tube out. I didn't know that was not a thing. He's like, I was like, when can I get this out? Cause I know I have to get it out to go home. And he's like, well, when do you want to get it out? I was like, well, how about right now? He's like, okay. And I caught him in the hallway. Cause you know, doctors round really quick. And so I, he cut it and he cut it and I started pulling it out. I didn't realize it was, I thought it was be 12 inches. It was what I was like 80 inches, something like five feet. It went all yeah, the way it's... circled around my distance. <laughs> yeah. I had no idea. Like looking back, that's crazy. I, I wouldn't, I would have let him do it because I could rupture, but, but just, I cried all day, weeping all day. My wife and son are, they handle it more internally and there's a lot of denial going on. And, and I just didn't have that denial. I had the shock, but not the denial. And so I just, I, I, I would not sleep well. And I'd just be in constant pain because of all the things that happened to me. I wanted to get out. I wanted to get good enough to go pray for my daughter uh, and just see her come back. I just could not imagine a life without this precious, my precious little Berkeley. Mm -hmm. And I was forced to face the situation after I got out, which we we lived in on land. We had a really pretty backyard. It was just us, right? It wasn't super mm -hmm. fancy, but it was mm -hmm. pretty. You know, we just we just lived life so much like this together. Homeschooled. We come out and our friends, six or seven people offered houses for us to live in for the first mm -hmm. however months for free. We're not capable of doing anything. I am not even, probably not even out of ICU. Tan and Hayden get out earlier than me. And they've got this house. It's furnished. Like the community came together, uh, put stuff in it, put food in it put the kind of food we'd like. I mean, it's they did the best they could, Yeah. but it just wasn't our home. Mm -hmm. And when I remember my buddy, we went from the hospital 
to the property, to this home. When we went to the home, I just fell down and I just wept because my daughter wasn't there. And we had just left the first place we went. I was like, I, I need to go to the property and see it. So I hadn't seen it. I've just been in the hospital. I, you know, I haven't been able to go anywhere. And mm-hmm. I just said, this is what's going to happen. I said, I'm going to get out. I can't walk far anyways because I'm so weak. I said, I'm probably going to fall down. I'm going to just, just wail. And I did. And I just could not believe it. And I did. And there's people there working like, our friends are so beautiful. They really, they were there working and they had solicited other people, you know, cause there's just different work crews that went out. And, and How long after the accident was this that you got out then? Three weeks. So they wow. said three to six months. And, three weeks. and, you know, I pushed it because mm-hmm. I, I just wanted my daughter back and I was mm-hmm. helpless and powerless. Like it was my only goal. And so I ate healthy. I thought healthy. I, I couldn't watch TV. I couldn't do anything other than hear people talk about, let, let me talk about what my experiences are and, my, and share, then talk about healing scriptures and things that are positive. And because I, I had so much negativity and that's where those videos came out. I've got to do something other than live in this crap, even though I'm not feeling it. And just so you know, most of the videos didn't make it because we had wise friends that filtered. Uh, so yeah, <laughs> so you made some videos. videos. Yeah. So you made some videos that you posted, right? Yeah, I'm the GoFundMe, and a lot of them didn't make it because they were just way too raw. And I mean, looking back, I haven't watched any of them, but they're pretty raw. Mm-hmm. Just when you lose literally everything that was safe in life, yeah, and loving, and the people that you love the most are hurting the worst. Things that you cared about before, like image, it's not as big a deal. I thought the more people that tune in and pray for us and support us and help my help us in whatever way they can. People paid for things because I'm not working for a year. You know, we're looking into fertility things, which is super expensive. The funeral was $35,000, $40,000. We call it the celebration. Like I remember sitting with the funeral director, super nice guy. I said, I got to tell you, I want to reach over this and I want to strangle you and knock you out. I said, because you're telling me to pick out a casket for my 14-year-old daughter. I had to pick out songs that, you know, life. And you tell me this is the typical length. I think it should be a week long. <laughs> How do I pick out a few, you know, like I, I think this, this is the celebration. I was like, you uh... show me all these things. And I said, let me tell you, none of that's going to work for my daughter. I said, that's, that's, it's not nearly nice enough. I said, and it doesn't encapsulate her life. I said, one thing her celebration will be, it'll be a testimony to the joy of the Lord in her. And how in 14 years she was able to accomplish more than somebody who's lived a hundred for themselves. Mm-hmm. And so that's what we did in planning the celebration. It was the one thing that I could control. Yeah. I heard one of the guys, the gentleman you had on um, that had a stillborn child, his mm-hmm. thing was trying to help other people. And I think that's so beautiful. Mm-hmm. Go to Jersey. I, I was born in New Jersey and raised in Florida. So <laughs> I liked how he was real. But it was what I could control. But we all handle it so differently. I remember Tana was one of her cousins that flown in and people were constantly over. But when I got to the hospital, there's all this pressure to plan this and plan that. And I wouldn't plan anything until I got to go pray for my daughter. Mm-hmm. I said, I'm not even available for a conversation about this until I go pray for her. So I had people go in there with me and, and, and she didn't raise up. She stayed just as she was. And, and it's, I can't tell you the things in my mind that continue on um, from that time of praying for your lifeless, cold just doll looking daughter. So I said, I'm going to, I'm going to do my best. And I had to go through 14 years of beauty that has been transformed into pain mm-hmm. and just go through all these. My wife wasn't in a position where she could do a lot. And I don't feel like I was either, but it, I, but I had to, right. It's, it's, I had to. And she's like, why are you trying to control every single aspect? I said, because I can't control anything else. Yeah. Anything at all. I can't, I can't control anything else. So what I can control is I can, I can show up and give my best to honor the life of Berkeley. And then like she would want, make it about joy and give an invitation for Christ that people would know the reality that there's hope beyond this world. Because if you only have this world to live for, then if something like this happens, your life is over. You know, one of our two biggest joys in life was having Hayden and Berkeley and Berkeley's in heaven and she's, she's, gone for us for now mm-hmm. and, it, and it was we had people from her her drama sing and, and we had other people share that loved her read some stories 
I did videos. I have a friend who does video production. And he said, man, I was going to do it live. But he's like, dude, I just think you should really not do that. And the closer it got to that, the more I thought, yeah, I, I can't do that. Not. And so I did videos. And that's all online too. On the GoFundMe page, I did videos. I think you got to watch 17 minutes into it before the service starts. But people got you know, accepted Christ. People told us that their kids' lives were forever changed because of what they saw and how we did it. And as the person walking through it, it doesn't feel that way. No. It only feels like sadness and pain. But I do believe in sowing and reaping in this life and the next. And so I believe what you sow at some point, you're going to reap. May not look the same, but but at some point. And so I just, I, I knew I would not get a do-over in that. Mm-hmm. Well, that's beautiful that you had that thought. Because I have to say, when we did Andy's service, it was a very God-honoring service too. And I had so many people say that this will bring people to Christ and whatever. But my response back was, that's not why I did it. That's not why we did it. We didn't do it to bring people to Christ. I did it because that's who Andy was. And that was being genuine to Andy and, you know, talking about his faith and what it meant to him. And Eric and I did both speak and we talked about how ready Andy was for heaven and conversations that he said. I mean, it was a wonderful perk if God used it to bring others to Christ. But honestly, for me, it's because that was the right thing to do for Andy. It was honoring of him and his life and what he meant. You know what I mean? So yeah, that's so good. And that's so yeah. true. And that, that service, you know, what's funny too, is we had a beautiful, had a beautiful reception. Everything else related to that kind of celebration. I have no idea. I, I remember people saying that it felt more like a wedding reception than a funeral wow. reception. I know that, but as far as the rest of it, I let people do things. Cause I was think I was so broken and it was so yeah. quick, you know, cause Andy died on Wednesday and the service was Monday. So it was, only Oh, wow. Monday. So oh, I don't was think a month later. Was, yeah, I don't, I, we just didn't have enough time and I just wasn't in any way, any place to do a lot of planning. <laughs> I remember, um, somebody saying, is there a certain food that you want? And I said, if there's cake, it has to be lemon. Because that was Andy's <laughs> favorite, favorite cake. And that's that's all I said. If there's cake, it has to be lemon. And so when they were meeting with this, it was at this um, Frederick Meyer Gardens, which is these beautiful gardens. And when they were meeting with them, they gave like this menu. It was my very good friend. She, her assistant kind of went and they brought back what they were going to serve. And my friend said, well, there's no lemon cake on here. And she said, well, they weren't going to have cake. They were going to have other desserts or whatever. whatever. And she goes, you don't understand. That's the only thing she asked for. There's going to be lemon cake. <laughs> I, I don't I care if they like don't that. have it. If they don't have it on the menu, if it's not a choice, you make it be a choice. And so I have no That's idea right. how they got the lemon cake. And I never even it. ate it. Isn't that funny? And like there yeah. were so many people coming up to us. I never ate the cake. I was told that it was very good lemon cake. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but it's just That's great. It's just different. You know, you just have different things that you remember and that you can think about and that you can handle. And I think I just couldn't handle much of anything. You put a lot on yourself. Yeah. And and the other thing, part of it is I was so physically weak still, like really, I wasn't supposed to be out of the hospital, like at all. I I just really wasn't. And I, I could barely walk without getting winded. And I was just in constant physical pain. Yeah. Like when I'd start crying my whole body, cause I half my body was burned. Yeah. And I would, I would just, it would start to get hot and I wasn't sleeping. And then I would, there's so many physical comfort. Like I need a knee, I need one, maybe two knee replacements. Like there's all these things that I'm having to deal with while doing this and having people living in somebody else's house, sleeping on somebody else's bed. The most of the celebration service was paid for. Um, I thought mm-hmm. it was all paid for, but then we got a bill for 13,000 and my friend's like, Hey, <laughs> I'll just, I mean, he's like, I, I couldn't even write the check. So he did it for us. We had friends managing our finances. You would not believe like the cheesecake or the lemon cake thing. <laughs> like they had pictures blown up. They had like, they had a thing where everybody signed it. They had a Berkeley table, like all these great things they had. And we had a horrible ice storm the night before. Like it was dangerous to draw. Like 
and people were flying in from everywhere. Even my, for my practice, even my computer guy lives in Utah. He flew in, never met him. This great guy, Dave. And he comes in and we're like, I told me that it's like, Dave. And so people, even from my childhood came in, I mean, and I wasn't in a position to talk to anybody really. Mm-hmm. And so they just came in, saw me there and then and they went back to wherever. And I was so broken. I was so broken. I just remember that the, the motorcade almost left me because there were so many people at the celebration that were loving. And I just, everybody carries a different energy, different spirit. And so there was something different that I felt from every person mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Um, we're so well loved. And I, I felt like I had this bleeding heart and this, this gas tank that was constantly below E and, and I might get enough from somebody yeah. to just go to the next thing, to go to the next thing to go. Yeah. And I, and I don't think I live like that normally as much, but I think in the season, the only way I felt God's love, the only way I felt God's love is through the love of others. Yes. You know, my friends would rub my feet when, you know, the, I mean, put cream. I mean, it, the, the, the amount of love that we felt was biblical proportions. And I think in a normal life, if you feel that you'd be overwhelmed with joy, but it, it just got me enough to breathe. Mm-hmm. It just got me enough to, to, to get up that day. It just got me enough to get through the challenges with Hayden and with challenges with Tanda. You know, we, we went into this, he got like 45 minutes of media time a day, whether it's watching something or playing a video game, they both did. And I come out he's on, it, on it for 12 hours a day, instead of using pain medicine, he's watching TV and on this. <laughs> so our yeah. whole, our whole lives and he didn't have a phone and because we couldn't communicate and we lost everything. My friend, a uh, great friend bought us all new iPhones mm-hmm. and people took care of as much as they possibly could yeah. of loving us. And- because you just don't know what else to do. Right. I think people don't know what to do. And so they're like, we just got to do something. We got to do something. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I'm so glad they did. I'm so glad they brought it. Like once I became conscious, I was like, I can't eat the hospital food because it's, it's not good for you. And I, and I need to get out of the hospital soon. You know, and I didn't know a lot because my mind, you know, I mean, I, I was, I had so much brain trauma and head trauma. And I mean, I had, my skull was cracked and here's something else. Berkeley was about 12 inches away from me. She, she, the, the coffee pot, right. Is like where you're at. I just uh, pressed the button. She, her headboard is on the other side of that wall. So that's why you went immediately for her in your mind too, isn't it? Because you knew she was right there. You think I don't, I didn't have that thought. I think something spiritually in my heart knew welled yeah. up that I just, there, you know, how you just have a knowing. I just, I just knew I didn't put that to either all that together till afterwards. Like we both have this, you know, that's how she, the cause of death they said was head trauma. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like they, my skull was cracked, but the, the celebration service, I'm so glad that we did it the way we did it. You know, even in the COVID era, I didn't care if I died at that point, like yeah. from, because I, I just was hurting so bad. And I felt like my, my friends and people around would love my family well. And so I wasn't thinking about COVID when I hugged people. I was thinking about the loss of my daughter and all the lives that we shared to all these people that came. We had to move the service, I think, three times to find a place big enough. And that would allow that many people in mm-hmm. for that. Because it, you know, that was a time that was real scary for a lot of people. Yeah. And for us, it was, it was just devastating. We couldn't see past the pain of where we were at. Um, Yeah. I got so much comfort just from a hug, you know, at that point in time, I felt like, you know, when we were going through, they're going through this like receiving line kind of thing at the funeral home, every single person who came to me, like gave me a little bit of comfort and took just a teeny bit of pain off. Not that I felt like better because I really felt horrible. Like I couldn't feel much more horrible, but yet at the end of the hours and hours of doing that, I did feel a little better. Like just sharing that experience with others brought some little bit of peace. You know, I feel so bad for people that have been going through this during COVID and have, yes, and have been so alone. Yeah. I I just was talking to another mom who is actually going to be on the podcast soon. And they are finally having the celebration of life for her son this coming September. And he died last year as well. So it's, it it will be maybe close to a year, but I, I'm so encouraging to still have it, right? You can't just not have it. You need that moment. You do. You need the moment. You need the moment. Mm -hmm. I remember it. 
I, I didn't accept the reality. I remember just walking down out of the out of the church and walking up behind the, the casket. And I barely was able to walk anyways. Mm-hmm. And so somebody jumps out of the aisle and grabs my arm. And then somebody else jumps out and grabs my other arm. And they just walk me out. Yeah. I have amazing friends and my wife does too. And they're just beautiful in our family. We couldn't have asked for more support. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's, a, there's, you know, in life you have, it depends on what you focus on. There's people that are knuckleheads that say, oh, the only reason people are, you know, treating you that way is because they're glad it's not them, which that may be true. But mostly our experience with people has been really positive around here. Mm-hmm. of loving us and serving us and and just doing what we can't do because small things mm-hmm. seem titanic right now i'm just telling you like the grief plus the physical trauma plus all the meds that we were on and things that happened uh it was crazy crazy stuff and getting out that putting the thing in the ground and her not coming out and i i just remember standing there and they're like sean you've got to go You've got to go. The limo's going to leave. And people were just pressuring me because it was really nasty weather. And the cops, you know, it, it just was, it was just the worst time to have it. There's ice hanging off and it was the worst ice storm history in the history of Oklahoma. And I just didn't want to go because going meant that I accepted this reality. I knew that if I left, if I left that gravesite, that, that I was accepting, I did everything, Marcy. I did everything that I humanly could do at that point to bring my daughter back to pray to be positive from eating to I couldn't exercise but even my, my I was fully bandaged from head to toe right when I got out or when I was in the hospital I would just lift my arms just a little bit you know I was like I, my, my, I was like what do you want to do I was like I need to do something to get out of here he's like all right let's do let's do some exercises some reps what can you do and I was like I can do this that's it he's like all right let's do three sets of ten of this <laughs> just raising your arms up a little bit. Yeah. That was it. And he's like, man, if your doctor would have walked in, I probably would have got kicked out. But even that, like our burn doctor made an exception. He got special approval because you're only allowed to have one person because of COVID. Yeah. And, th- and they had a rotation of my mom was there during the day. And I had a rotation of four guys. You know, a lot about hospitals, so you know, that there, there's a lot of times there's, you might have an amazing nurse that is like, <laughs> wow, she's the best ever. Then you might have a tilt of a hun. Uh, (laughs) as your next one that's from another country and you can't understand there's language barrier there's they traveled from another state to get there and uh so it was really great to have people around just managing my meds and things like that just being an advocate yeah Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. Uh, in the hospital there's a lot of great things about how they handle it but the reality of coming home that day of just falling in another person's house and praise god for the person that donated it for six months it just wasn't ours. Like I look around, they made it as good as you can make it. Right. Yeah. But it wasn't ours. It was just empty and quiet. And I think Tanda was back. My son had to go back in for a skin graft. They weren't there. And so my friends, they spent the night. So they kept spending the night until she got out and they just go sleep in the chair or whatever it was. And it was really hard when Tanda got out because she wanted to, her and Hayden still spent the night together and they, you know, they slept in the room and I slept by myself. So yeah. I still had my friends for the night, even when they were home for a few nights, because I, I would go to bed thinking about Berkeley, just crying myself to sleep every night, wake up and start crying and weeping. And I couldn't sleep. I would just think about her. And it's the love that before is a boomerang that would come back with, with the reciprocity. You know, you think like you think about your kids hundreds of times a day anyways. Right. So it's not like I thought about her more. It's that when I thought about her, it wasn't the reciprocity of joy. I'm going to get to see her tonight. I'm going to wake up and go wake her up and give her a kiss. Mm-hmm. I'm going to, it, it came back as razor blades to my heart. Yeah. It's love without a place to land. And it comes back as something very different. That is, that is a hundred percent true. That is what grief is. It's just so, so difficult. So, so difficult. Yeah. I had to divorce myself from my experience as a therapist because one of the things that I saw, I've counseled people I've counted. There's not much counseling I haven't done, mm-hmm. but the hardest thing I've seen people, good people, you know, people make choices about if they want to change by what they do, by what they don't. But with grief and losing a child, there is truly nothing like it that I've ever seen. No matter, no matter what kind of a family you are, no matter great Christian, atheist, like it just rocks your world. Yes. It just, it, it, there, and, and I had to say, I, I can't have the experiences that I've seen other people have. 
That's mm-hmm. probably why it's hard for me to listen to other people's stories yeah. is because I know how much I daily miss my daughter. I don't know what it looks like, but I just keep putting my faith forward and thank God you're going to have to use this, like this podcast with Marcy and, and do something with it. That's good for others as, as somehow blessing others in some way, because I, inside, I just hurt. Mm-hmm. I just feel sad. I just feel a longing. Um, I've never met anybody like my daughter. You know what I mean? Yeah. She's a better version of me, <laughs> except for I can't sing. And I, would, <laughs> and I don't think anybody wants me to act. <laughs> it's just all the conglomeration of, of so many things. And then life goes on, right? Like there's a part of our life that because there was an explosion, because my daughter's she's into heaven, that there's legal ramifications to that, that we've mm-hmm. had to walk through scenarios that are unthinkable. Yeah. Um, and, and I wish I could say it's all done, but it's, there's still things going on that I yeah, uh, we had to do that too. It's horrible. It's absolutely horrible. I, I mean, it, I hate it. Yeah. So we need a lot of prayer for that. And then just, just me being broken the way I counsel people is I would meet them where they were at. And, and I care deeply for the people that I serve. And mm-hmm. I don't have that ability right now to go date, like to sustain that with somebody for somebody the way that I did before. Passion. I completely understand completely yeah. because, you know, I ended up. I tried to go back to work only a few weeks afterwards. That it was very wise of you to know that that wasn't going to be possible. But my husband, God bless him, <laughs> felt that when he went back, it was really helpful to him. So he kept thinking, you just need to get back to work. Like that will help make things better. But he didn't think about the fact that what I do is I care for children and families. And to see these unbroken families was just so incredibly painful. And to have to counsel them about complaining that their kid can't go to sleep at night and is always, Mm -hmm. you know, bugging them in their room or whatever. I Coming in, wanting to talk to them at night and you would give anything to have that one more time. Exactly. Exactly. So it was just so incredibly painful. And I've said on this on the podcast, I cried between every single patient. That's what I did. I would go see a patient and then I would cry and then I would get myself back together and go see the next patient. And then I would cry. I mean, it was horrible. It was a horrible way to be. So I needed to take time and I took a year and I took a good solid year. And it was only after I started doing the podcast and I started kind of having a purpose for my grief and something else to do with my grief and in my grief with Andy, really, to be able to help care for other people in grief that I was able to get back that compassion Mm -hmm. and caring for other families. It has grown tremendously. You said that earlier, you have more compassion now than you did before. I do. There's no doubt that I do. But if I hadn't taken all of the time that I took to work on giving myself as much time for healing as I can and working on myself, I wouldn't be able to do it. I resonate a lot with what you're saying. And I would say my year, my wife didn't know this till probably a couple of weeks ago, but my year didn't start because I, the explosion happened on 924. Berkeley's birthday is on 919. Mm-hmm. My birthday is on 1022. I, I got out of the hospital really pretty much right before my birthday. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, I had a group of guys that like, what do you want to do? And I was like, I just want you guys to speak life into me. So we got around a fire and they just all just praised for life. And it was super sad, but it, they just spoke identity into me. You know, I was like, that's who I was. That's not who I, I don't know who I am. Cause my, yeah. like, I think that's the thing for us is there's so multifactorial. Like there's nothing that compares to the loss of our daughter. There's nothing even close to the pain of that. But then there's the fact that we don't have anything. I didn't have a toothbrush. You know, I didn't have yeah. socks. I didn't, I couldn't even buy underwear because I, I wasn't emotionally, I didn't want to replace. I wanted my life that I had. Yeah. There's, there's still so many things like my days are spent with the insurance company or talking to a lawyer or things that are, are significant in the season, but they're not like helping somebody reconcile a marriage or teaching a dad how to love his daughter well. And so then the daughter lights up and she gets off of drugs because it, it's just not the same. It's mm-hmm. it's not the same of, of having image of your family to come home to. And then it's just great when you get home and the healing, I like what you're saying is I do limited capacity because I have a team of counselors at New Vision, our practices, New Vision Counseling that I own. And they're, they're fantastic. You know, my assistant's managing the team as best she can. And they still go on and function, but I still have to do some stuff. 
and it's still so hard. And these are amazing people. Yeah. You know, but I'm not, I'm not directly counseling. And I cry just thinking about that. My, you know, I get texts from patients. Hey, we're still praying for you. Or, you know, when, then I get texts from, are you going to get back? You know, yeah. <laughs> there's a lot of people holding out. And my recommendation is I, I would find, you know, go to these other people because I, I want you to get the best. And right now my best is going to be just getting help myself because yeah. I'm in therapy, physical counseling therapy. I, I do different kinds of things to, because I just know how broken I am. Mm-hmm. And I know that I get easily overwhelmed. I get easily stressed and things that were issues before are just highlighted and exasperated. And my body is not, I'm getting injections in my knees just to be able to spend the summer with my son because I can barely walk without just tremendous pain. And, you know, that's another blessing. My friends, they contributed to me getting injections that are like 2000 in a knee, 2000 in another knee, just to get through the summer. Cause we had it robbed from us last time, our trips. And that's another thing that I just want to highlight that what, what people can do or people in grief is it means a lot. When I see your eyes get tears in them, it means a lot when you hug and you just say, I'm here, or I see compassion. It means a lot with you say, what, what's a practical need that I can meet? And don't feel bad about asking and then tr- make some suggestions. Well, what can I do this? Can I do this? Can I do this? Can I do this? For us, people have donated money because they know I'm not working. And because <laughs> the stuff that we're doing just costs lots of money to get the help that we need. Mm-hmm. You know, if you go to counseling a few times a week and then you go to a chiropractor, then you go to a physical therapist, then you join a gym. And get, there's Just because we're so compromised in every area, mm-hmm. it's just been a tremendous blessing when people actually step in. And you can feel that love and that care. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I mean, we had meals for six months or probably five months solid. So did we. Mm-hmm. Did you? I mean, August it's, it's, to it's, December. It's, mm-hmm. it's a yeah. huge blessing. Yeah. Uh, that it used to be like every day. And then I had to keep cutting it back because we just had loads of food. It was just like. Did you feel? I felt guilty. I felt so guilty <laughs> about all the food that went yeah. to waste. I, I've called my friends and say, hey, you want uh, chicken pot pie? I got a whole tub of it. <laughs> yeah. You want lasagna? Hey, what about all these? I mean, if somebody paid for a food service to make us meals and then somebody, somebody I think somebody else paid for one. And so we had double meal. And uh, I just wish they could have extended it out over, over a year. We had <laughs> a, we had a sign food. up that went like through my church. And so we had people just sign up and then, and then uh, the other wonderful thing is I had somebody in the first days, actually, after Andy died, they showed up at our house with a freezer in the basement and said, wow. you're going to get so much food. I want you to have a place to put it. So we had this huge and we already had a couple of freezers. So now we had a whole extra wow. freezer just to put food oh, in, which, food. Was, which was that's a blessing. It was a blessing. It was a blessing. And they didn't. It just was a very thoughtful thing to do to think, you know, we have this extra freezer. I bet the Larson's need a freezer. Right. That's so good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Somebody, um, so, we, you know, we didn't own it. Like everything that we own was pretty much devastated, sure. destroyed. Yeah. And so they sent the, the, because COVID so many things were out of stock. Yeah. And so <laughs> there was a fridge in the rental house that we were in, but then they bought a fridge. The only fridge that they could find for the other one was like the one that you go to a convenience store. And there's no, like a yeah. freestanding fridge with a glass on front. So they bought this crazy expensive <laughs> refrigerator and a stand-up freezer for the exact same reason. So they put drinks in it and, you know, it's, yeah, you know, the mineral waters and it was, it was really, I mean, we just needed a lot of love. We really yeah. needed a lot of love and my wife's friends are good at decorating and they decorated it. They hung TVs. They, they put rugs down. I mean, they, they made this home uh, better than a VRBO as best as they could. Mm-hmm. It was in the same, they, they found it in, in the same area that we moved into. And, you know, the housing market's crazy. Mm-hmm. And so the inventory was way low where we live. <laughs> yeah. Trying to buy a house, the house that we live in now is probably 150 to 200,000 more worth more uh, to buy it again. <laughs> wow. Because of where we live and that, but it's, we don't have a, we don't have that house. So we're living in another another rental right now that we just transitioned to. That's it's more like a house that we would buy mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. where the other one was like a starter house mm-hmm. and uh, you know, just not nearly as light. You know, one of the things I would say too is get help outside of yourself and don't just mm-hmm. rely on one person or a few people. I'm a, I'm an atypical guy where I, ha- I love to fish and be outdoors and I love adventures, but I also love really 
real conversations that are deep and not trite and have purpose and significance. And I love to joke around. And so I have so many friends and each of them are different elements of life to me. Mm-hmm. Some are great at really being patient. Some are great at leading. And in this season, I feel like a child needing people to lead me. Mm-hmm. I have businesses and things, but I just emotionally feel that way. Yeah. And I'm not as much there as I was, but my friends would come to the house and pick me up. because I, I didn't drive for a while because my eyes are, I still need healing in my eyes. I still can't see great, but they would just come and take me to different places to eat. They take me to get underwear. They take me to get shorts. They take me to get shoes. They would take me to get glasses. They would take me to walk my version of walk, which is like your probably grandma who's 102 for version. And <laughs> they would just get me out and it would be refreshing. And I would, it would, it would mildly break a trance for a while. And then I'd see people out, you know, we're out and, they'd, and it was just encouraging because mm-hmm. our story was on the news. Um, even though I wasn't a part of it a little bit, I was, you know, I did one interview, but it's just encouraging to be seen. And, and they realize that our daughter is not forgotten. Cause that's a big fear. Yeah. Like we went to some places and they didn't even it, awkwardly, people don't know what to say. So they don't mention her at all. Yeah. I've kind of made a, a commitment that I, I'm not going to let that happen. I'm going to, I'm going to educate people on just that. I don't want her to not be talked about. Like she's part of our life. We're a family of four. Maybe there might be a family of more in the future. God willing, 48 years strong is what I like to say, which again, that's a statement of faith because I'm not there right now. Yeah. And I don't have all the intricacies figured out about health and the world and the craziness of it, but I know that I would regret more not having a child. And I, and I, looking back, like I said before, I, I've been privileged to literally see thousands of families, individuals, people's lives just radically transformed, right? Not, not, but radically. And I love that, but there's nothing in life that I've enjoyed being a part of more than being a dad. There's just not, there's, there's just not, there's just nothing I've enjoyed and felt more value in seeing my children grow and Berkeley loved the Lord. She had accept, just rededicated her life again because she said she wanted to go deeper and further on her own. Just yeah. that's what she wanted to do. And, you know, we had just got her, a, you know, because, you know, you get different Bibles as you mm-hmm. get older. <laughs> and we had just went and got her a new Bible, had her name in it. And yeah. so this last weekend, I went and got Hayden a Bible for his 13th birthday, which was in February, which, you know, it's, it's June now. So I kind of let you know where we're at and getting things done in life. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, just, just reminded me of how special that experience was with Berkeley. So we're, we're, that, that's why we want to have more kids. We've been, my wife adores. She says, even as a child, she wanted to be a mom mm-hmm. and she's fantastic. So what better thing to give the last years of my strength to than investing in the life of, of another human? to love God and, and to make the world a better place by the presence. Well, thank you so much for sharing Berkeley with us today and your story. I really appreciate it. I know that's a painful thing to talk about, but I know that you will bring a lot to others. So thank you for that. Yeah. Well, I, I appreciate the opportunity and I'm sure there's a lot of things I could have said and didn't say, but I'll probably think, Oh, why didn't I say that? Why didn't I, <laughs> but I would, I would just encourage people to, you know, they say there's, there's no, there's no wrong way to grieve. There's no right way to grieve. And I would, I would just say, that's not, I would say, I don't, I've not found that to be true. Mm-hmm. I think there's not one way to grieve, Yes. but I think there's certainly wrong ways that can yes. be detrimental. Yes. And I also think that there's this balance between taking the grace of your season, but not letting that go too far. Like some people drink too much, you know, or like for me right now, it's eating. Like I'm not eating to feed my body. I'm eating because I'm sad and I miss my daughter and I feel like I need ice cream. Um, <laughs> so it's just a balance, but, but there are certainly things and we're all so drastically unique that I think finding what those areas are that help you, like for me being outside by water mm-hmm. is incredibly healing. We, we love where we live. We live right by a lake and I could ride my bike. We had beautiful neighbors and it was just pretty. And that land's not available for that price now anymore. Like it's, yeah. it's just not. And I've tried to grab that back and go out there, journaled, cried, spent, you know, I'd go out there almost every day. That's my gravesite. 
trying to get it back, but, but you know, it, it doesn't look like that's going to happen for us. I don't know that we can do that. And, and just knowing that there's some things that you can get back and there's some things that you can't mm-hmm. and don't wear shorts in winter stay, do your best to stay in tune with what season that you're in, not what people say you should be in or what they say you should be even, even you, like for me, I'm very judgmental on myself of feeling like I should be doing better in some areas. Yes. I hear that a lot from you. I keep wanting, I keep hearing Gwen in my head to say to you, don't should yourself, don't should yourself. Cause you've been know, shooting yourself the entire my time. So brown. <laughs> <laughs> my cat, yeah. I feel, and I feel like I'm on a timetable because I go back to work next year. Yeah. It's finding your own journey and, and finding the people around you and being willing to like, we, we saved some money, but we're using the money that we saved to just live and to get the help that we need. And it, we're spending way more than we ever have on just getting help. I just want to encourage people to do what they have to do. And I've been so humbled as a man to ask for help in areas that typically I would just take care of it and do it and figure it out. And um, <laughs> yeah, it's not that way right now. So that's a beautiful thing though, to ask for help and accept help from others. And it's something that a lot of people find challenging. So thank you for being a great example. For Thanks for listening to Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. Please subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast player. We are always looking for new show ideas. If you'd like to be a guest, know someone who'd be a great guest, or have a show idea, please email us at marcy at andysmom.com. Be sure to visit the webpage, andysmom.com, for more content, including Marcy's blog. There you can also sign up to receive updates via email. Together, let's work to inspire hope, one day at a time.